Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as we begin a treatment of this amazing letter of Paul to Corinth. You'll see from our uh, title uh, on the bulletin, The Cross Shapes Our Crisis. Uh, And this really falls in some ways in line with a sermon that was preached a few weeks ago where we used the term cruciform again and again, where Paul said, I want my life to be conformed to the sufferings of Christ and to the death of Christ. We talked about how this means particularly Christ's sufferings and death that were in which he spent himself for others and that we would, with Paul, want our lives to be conformed to that suffering and death as we seek to live for others, particularly as we seek to make known the gospel and the suffering that would be involved in that. Well, this whole book is basically devoted to that idea. And so we've uh, entitled it The Cross That Shapes Our Crisis. The cross that invades our lives and shapes the way we think, the way we act, the way we live out our lives in every way. And so uh, join me then as we read this first chapter, uh, the first uh, 11 verses of the first chapter on page 964. If you want to use the Bible that's there in the pew or in the chair. This is uh, the greeting and what's called many times the prologue, a kind of introduction to the whole of the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, bless us that we will grow in your grace. Bless us, Lord, that we will have a growing vision 
of the call to share in the sufferings of Christ, that we might share in the comfort of Christ, and that comfort would overflow from our lives into one another's lives and even to those who even yet are outside of Christ, that we might, Lord, in our sacrifice and suffering, more and more bring the comfort and salvation of Jesus Christ to more and more people. Bless us, Lord, that we will walk in the ways of Jesus and in the ways of Paul and the ways of your saints throughout the centuries. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kay recently got a cute little card of encouragement uh, from a friend, and it read like this. I would swim the deepest ocean for you. I doubt it would help, but still, <laughs> just love that. You know, you say you'll swim. The, what would that really do for you if you swam the deepest ocean? You know, I doubt it would help, but still, <clears throat> the thought counts, so to speak. Uh, what really does help us in great difficulty? What really does help when we are faced with tragedy? It's interesting when you begin to look at the number of support groups there are. This is just a smattering. We know AA really well. We know Al-Anon, some. Just in Tarrant County, you can have these support groups. The amputee support group, Alzheimer's support group, aphasia, that's speech difficulty as a result of stroke. Aphasia support group, brain injury support group, cardiac rehabilitation support group, caregiver support group, diabetes support group, Parkinson's support group, renal failure support group, bipolar support group, survivors of suicide or those touched by suicide, Asperger's, Debtors Anonymous, Domestic Violence, Eating Disorders, Fibromyalgia, uh, Infertility, Sexual Abuse Survivors, Sleep Disorders. And of course, in every one of these cases, you go into a group where other people have suffered the same thing. And they're able to give you perspective. They're able to identify with you. You share your pain and your struggle. And they say, yes, we have this pain and we struggle. And this is how we've dealt with it. And it gives you again and again. People who experience it say, I had a tremendous sense of hope. A tremendous sense that I was not alone. Tremendous sense of how better to deal with this. And an amazing sense of just the fellowship of other people to encourage me in this. Well, this is Paul's version of a support group. And according to Paul, every member of the body of Christ is involved in this support group. Every member of the body of Christ shares in the sufferings of Christ and therefore shares in the comfort of Christ. And it is a picture of... Of each of us as we share in those sufferings and enter into that comfort. That that comfort is what we then comfort one another with. As we bind together and deepen our fellowship as his people. So the, entitled, the, the title comfort to comfort. Right? 
comfort giving to comfort to comfort to comfort. And so we're going to look first at the God of comfort, as he is described here, and then the great occasion for comfort. That is the suffering of Christ, the sufferings of Christ in which we participate. And then the overflow of comfort. First, the overflow of comfort to me, to Paul, or putting yourself in Paul's place, to you and your experience of affliction. And then the overflow of comfort to others as you yourself are comforted. So the God of comfort. This, uh, this blessing of God is uh, unusual, although we do find it a couple of more times in the New Testament. And so it's a standard formula of blessing. But it's basically a Jewish blessing... But now, instead of blessing the God who is the I am or the God who appeared to Moses, here's a Jew speaking of this same God, and now, in a sense, he's renamed. Okay, He is now, and for always will be, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is who God is, and there's no other God. This is the God, is uh, the Father who sent his Son into the world. That's who God is. There is no other God but the one who sent his Son into the world. This is the way, as one has said, in which he is God. This is the way in which he is the Father. Now, Jehovah's Witness will jump on this and say, hey, if he's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord Jesus Christ can't be God. And we say, no, this is part of the glory that he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ because he's truly a human being. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he's he's talking about how all things are ours. He says, death is is yours and the world is yours. Uh, The life is yours. Everything is yours. And you are Christ's and Christ's is God. You belong to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus belongs to God. And in Jesus, you belong to God forever. So this is our comfort that he is the God of this glorious perfect human being, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who as well is God, the God man. And so uh, he is our Lord Jesus Christ. He belongs to us. We belong to him. And this relates then to the statement, he is the father of mercies and God of all comfort. How is he the God of all comfort and the father of mercies? Because he's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Christ we see the abundant comfort and mercy of God poured out upon his world. In which he sacrifices his own son for the good of his people. He is the, if he's the father of mercies, he's the epitome of mercy. He's the origin of all mercy. He, he overflows with mercy. He is abundant in mercy. And so we have entered into basically a kingdom of comfort, a new creation of comfort created by the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort overflows because he is 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And if he's the God of comfort, he's the sovereign God, the sovereign God, and he will not be refused. He will comfort his people. We will explore this more. And that's why, of course, this uh, prologue in verse 3 and verse 11, it begins with the blessing of God and it ends with the gratitude and thanks to this God. So this is a celebration celebration of the great ministry of comfort that God brings to his people. This in many ways defines the whole giving of Christ. It is the pouring out of comfort upon the world that the world never knew before now. And we're in that age of comfort. We're in the age of a, a, a new society in which we dwell in comfort and pour it into one another's lives. And that is the light that we have to bring this salvation and comfort to the whole world. He is the God of comfort. And then there's this occasion of comfort, which he calls here the suffering of Christ. Or in the ESV, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. This means the suffering that is associated with Christ or in association with Christ. So those who belong to him and and follow him, they will follow in the rejection that Jesus faced. They will follow in to some degree in the sufferings he encountered as he was rejected by the world. So we will be rejected by the world. And it's described, our very sufferings are described as Christ's sufferings so that he continues to suffer in his people through the present age. As the body of Christ suffers Christ takes it as his own suffering. You can get this in Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where Jesus appears to him and he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? You remember what he said, why are you persecuting me? Me. I'm the one being persecuted. I'm the one being hated as you hate my people. And so the writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus being put outside the city, regarded as a piece of refuse to be rejected and cut off from mankind. And then the writer of Hebrews says in that last chapter, therefore, let's go outside where he is and stand with him and bear the reproach of the world. Now, brothers and sisters, there is no other Jesus to serve. There is no other Jesus to trust in. There is no other place. If you want Christ, the writer of Hebrews says, you, you have to go outside the city and if you have to stand with him and you have to bear his reproach. That shows how precious this Christ is to his people. That shows how highly they value him and treasure him. That they will lose everything to stand by him and bear his reproach. So for Paul to be beaten, for him, this constituted a continuing assault on Christ. 
There's a continuing suffering of Christ as the world beats against the Lord's body. These are the sufferings of Christ. And so Paul can say in Romans 8, we suffer with him that we might be glorified with him. So there's this pattern of Christ. He's the crucified one, but he is the exalted one. And so we must enter into his sufferings that we might enter into his glory. And there's no other Christianity but that. The identification with Christ. And especially this happens as we sacrifice our lives to reach others for Jesus. Even in our own society, that's where we will meet the most resistance, the most hatred, uh, the most liability to rejection and ridicule and pain is in making known the Jesus Christ to those around us. Now, we believe that it should be done in the way of friendship and in a way that is in keeping with uh, the mores of our society, etc. However, we believe that this is what we're here called to do is to make known Christ to others. And you notice that Paul is not concealing in this passage his own suffering. Even verses 8 and following, he gets very specific about the extent of his sufferings. Because to these people... They had a wrong view of the Christian life. They had a view of the Christian life in which they would want to ignore the misery of the world and imagine that nothing terrible will fall upon them. Their basic attitude was that suffering is incompatible with this new world that they had entered in in Christ Jesus. And they were uh, already living in the new creation and they would not be suffering these things. And so when these false apostles came along and they were relatively happy and safe and secure. And they're looking down their nose at Paul. All these bad things happened to Paul. How could he be the instrument of the power of God? How could he be the one supported by God? Look how his life is. Look at his suffering. Look at his pain. It's interesting. This is the one book, the one letter in which Paul begins by putting his suffering right in front, right in front to draw them in to begin to understand why he is suffering and why not only is he suffering. This is why you must suffer as well. If you're the true people of God. There's no other letter like this that begins right up front with this issue. Because it's so central to these people's understanding or lack of understanding. And in this, we run completely against the whole movement of health and wealth. The whole movement that would depict the Christian life as always perfect, always having a lot of money, always removed from suffering. I would suggest to you that that is anti-Christian. It is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is opposed to the call to go outside the city and stand and bear his reproach. I'll tell you what it's like. Listen to this. The Roman attitude, the pagan attitude toward uh, religion was this. That the service, see if this doesn't sound familiar to you. The service of gods 
would profit them in some way. Cicero says that one only thanks the gods because he was rich, because he was honored, because he was safe and sound. They call Jupiter best and greatest because of these things, not because he makes us just, temperate, and wise, but safe, secure, opulent, well-supplied. That's paganism. Paganism. Clearly. And likewise for the Corinthians, Paul's suffering had seemed unseemly, embarrassing. How could this be the power of God? And yet, as Tolstoy has written, it is by those who suffered that the world has been advanced. So here's the occasion of suffering. You're identifying with Jesus Christ. And in embracing his salvation, you embrace the whole of his pattern of death and resurrection. The whole new age is marked by this pattern. Death looking to resurrection. You enter it and embrace it all. Or you reject it all. And we'll continue to explore this in these weeks to come. So, the God of comfort. Here's the occasion of comfort that we enter into Christ's sufferings. And now the overflow of comfort. Comfort used to be, uh, centuries ago, associated with this, the Latin word, uh, fortis, which means brave and strong and courageous. Okay, so comfort originally means to make one strong and brave to face what you're dealing with. And encouragement itself, and this could be translated encouragement. Some commentators uh, want to do that. It could be either way. We have we he encourages us in our afflictions so that we can encourage others. But the, the important thing is not to think of comfort uh, as something that's just like an anesthesia, you know, that keeps, helps you forget your pain, you know. Some kind of quiet thought that helps you forget that you're not, you're, that you're in pain. Garland has said, it's not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pains, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with resolve and assurance. And so, when it speaks of this comfort, it speaks, in fact, this is... What Paul is talking about is that it's the good news. It's the speaking of God's grace and hope in Christ Jesus that has brought me this encouragement. And it is that grace and hope in Christ Jesus that, with, that has encouraged me that I will spill out and encourage others with. And so the true hope that we have that encourages us is the value of having more of Christ and knowing more of Christ in our affliction. It's the value of being made into Christ's image through my affliction. 
The value of manifesting Christ and his love in the midst of my affliction. And becoming an instrument of Christ in the midst of my affliction. And becoming, therefore, a picture of Christ who in his suffering laid down his life for others. This is, the, this is one of the hopes that we have. <clears throat> this pattern that, of suffering and encouragement that makes us God's true people. That lifts our spirits so that we can have this forward look of hope of what God is doing in our lives through this gospel. This comfort is the comfort of God's purpose for our lives. This comfort and and encouragement is the sense of his presence in our lives. A presence of the deepest shared burden that God has with us. Now that can only come through a shared humanity in Christ Jesus. The comfort of knowing that Christ has suffered before us and he enters into our burden with us. The comfort of his own grief over our pain. His own sympathy with, with us, as the writer of Hebrews speaks of. And it's not only the... Many, time, many kinds of deliverances that we experience in this life, but the hope of the final glorious, complete deliverance in the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. And so affliction comes, but comfort follows. Romans 5 speaks of the reign of grace in your heart, that though... This affliction strikes you that grace will reign and not affliction over your life. Because he says here that he abundantly, abundantly, verse 5, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, but we share abundantly in his comfort as well. And so, in every way, comfort matches affliction. Comfort overmatches affliction. Affliction would ruin us and deflect us away from God and dishearten us and undermine our faith. But comfort is a bloodhound that's always on the trail of affliction, chasing its spiritual sting and discouragement out of the country. And though... Though affliction can be devastating and shocking and traumatic and pushes us to our limits and beyond our limits emotionally and physically, yet comfort always breaches the wall of affliction to free our hearts from despair as God sets our hope upon him and his purpose for our lives. It is a fierce battle at times. But here's the the, the assurance that comfort will plant its flag over your heart and it will own the day. This is your new territory in Christ Jesus. This is your new home in Christ Jesus. That comfort will own you and govern you in the midst of your affliction. And so Paul Again, in Romans 5 says, as sin reigned in death, grace now reigns through righteousness. And so grace, this 
reigns through this gift of a right standing before God. Now it's grace that reigns in your life so that as the smoke clears, it's grace that reigns and not sin and not affliction. And so this is hope-filled comfort that touches every single pain. I used to love when I would get sunburn, my mother would go down get an aloe plant, not just in a bottle, but the aloe plant. And she would cut a leaf off and strip it down and get all that pure aloe and just coat my back, every single part of the sunburn, you know. And that's the idea here. Wherever the sunburn of affliction strikes at you, all comfort comes to you. The God of all comfort. The intensity of the comfort, the the application of the comfort in every area of your life. And so this endurance that Paul speaks of in verse 6 is the endurance of one who is counting on help from someone else. And only by God's grace can we live that way. This is as helpless people in the midst of affliction, looking to the help of God in our affliction, driving us to God, driving us into deeper community with one another to encourage one another, which brings us then to this overflow as we experience this comfort that it would overflow to others. Joet has written, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us Comforters. And brothers and sisters, you have to, let's say, buy into the deal. Really, you have to agree to say, Lord, if I may help others in affliction, then I bow to you if you take me through affliction, that I might be a prepared instrument of love and grace to pour my life into others. As you poured your life out for me. One who rejected you and hated you. And yet you spent yourself lavishly. So that I would be comforted and I would have your hope. And part of giving yourself to Christ. Is giving yourself to this one to say. Take me and use me and spin me. And I'll tell you that's impossible. Only God will give you grace to do that. Only God could give a selfish person like me grace to do that. And I still have so far to go. And so you see, Paul isn't comforting others out of the strength of his personality, out of a strong personality. But through the comfort he receives in weakness. That becomes his capacity for helping other people. Not because he has it all together. Because he hasn't had it all together. Because he couldn't face everything. He couldn't stand up under everything. And he had to throw himself in the mercy and comfort of God. And in that very comfort of the hope of the gospel. And the hope of his presence. And the hope of transformation. And the hope of the change of all things in the final day. He now can pour that out to others. And it was Calvin that reminds us, as Paul said later, he did this desperate thing that came upon us. He did it to make us not rely on ourselves. And Calvin says, even Paul 
was tempted to, re- to rely on himself. Even Paul. <laughs> we are so tempted to rely on ourselves. But our insufficiency becomes the means of the revelation of the great sufficiency of God. And as Paul says, the one who raises from the dead, he doesn't raise the exalted people from the dead. He raises the dead from the dead. He raises the helpless from the dead. And this, ironically, is when you begin to let go of despair. It's when you let go of self-reliance. Despair is always connected to self-reliance that blocks you from seeing the goodness and grace of God. We push him away. We reject his love. We reject his promise. And we, are, we have nothing else to depend upon but ourselves. And so here's a question asked in some things I studied. Have you been brutally confronted with your own limitations? Have you been brutally confronted with your own limitations? On our own, we can't comfort anyone. It's God's comfort that comes to us in our weakness and our helplessness and our failure with which we can bring comfort to others. And it's this wonderful cascade of comfort, like water pouring out into a furrowed field from one end of the field. And it's slightly... Uh, tilted and so the water just flows and flows and keeps pouring out and watering as far as the curse is found, right? As far as the sunburn of affliction. And so, brothers and sisters, this is how we become this replica of Jesus Christ, willing to suffer for others, even as he did in a very different way for us, Loving even our enemies as he loved us as we were his enemies. Sacrificing ourselves for the unloving and the unlovely as he did for me. It's a glorious calling. In some ways, it's a terrible calling. Terrible not in the sense of bad, but in the sense of awesome. And in some ways, awful in the pain it may bring, but glorious, <laughs> glorious and noble and like Christ himself. I'll just pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would ever equip us, ever draw us to yourself, Lord Jesus. We will so treasure what you have done. Who so treasure the love of your sacrifice that its glory will break in our hearts so that we'll give ourselves up to you, O Lord. Whatever the cost, so that we might belong to you, so that we might manifest you, so that we might be a kind of repetition of your sacrificial love in this world. O Lord, guard us against all low views of Christ that demean him, that make him out to be some kind of sugar daddy who we only want because he gives us, he gives us things. Oh Lord, deliver us 
from such dishonorable views of the precious Lord Jesus and give us grace. For we will not do it, Lord, apart from your grace. We do not have it in us. We are helpless. Oh, Lord, by your sovereign grace, save us that we may delight in your forgiveness, rest in your salvation. And because we rest in your acceptance and your forgiveness, that all of our sins are taken away, then we put ourselves in your hands the safe hands of Christ to do with us whatever you will. For you have taken away our sins. Amen.